Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology. I am popping on to do a live stream today because I haven't done one in a while and I want to do probably one or two this week as we are wrapping up the Kickstarter here. We are down to the last four days of my annual Kickstarter, so trying to rally a little bit of last minute support for the Kickstarter, see uh, how well we can do with our remaining time. Uh, and in the meantime, um, do some birth chart readings as well. Um, hopefully you guys had a nice holiday season and uh you are getting off the uh off the sugar roller coaster <laughs> i don't know about you guys but <laughs> that, descri <laughs> that describes my weekend i was like i i ate enough sugar for like a whole year i feel like it was delicious though no regrets um tell me where you're coming from as you are all logging in um i'd love to see a little bit of roll call in the chat box and i'm gonna do a little roll in video here to get us started as well Welcome in. Um, so we're going to do some live readings today. I think I'm going to do four live chart readings, uh, just give you a sense of maybe your biggest transit of the year. And hopefully you can pick up some tips on reading charts in the meantime, pick up some technique, which is always valuable. If you're a student of astrology, you can always learn something from seeing charts read. So hopefully um, this will serve um, you know, a few different purposes at, at once. Um, let's see where people are coming from before we get started here. Uh, let's see from Boulder, Colorado, from New Jersey, um, geez, let me scroll down a little bit here from Maryland. Nice to see you. You still live in Maryland, Northern Illinois, Juliana from Chicago. Christina says, hi, Adam. Hi. <laughs> uh, from, is it Chelmsford? Chelmsford, UK. And, uh, from looks like New Mexico, Dallas, Texas from Vienna, Astro date, Kate. And uh, Shelly from Salem, Karen or Karen from Baltimore, another Baltimore, another Maryland person in the house. That's awesome. St. Louis, Houston, gosh, Copenhagen. That's amazing. Los Angeles, mountains of North Carolina. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Gina is vacationing in California at the moment. I hope you're enjoying that. All right. We've got a Minnesota friend in the house. That's, that's awesome. Sam from South Africa. Oh my gosh, I'm loving it. Omaha. Yes. Yeah, this is awesome. It's so cool. There's so many. I'm just like flying through all of them here. And uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, oh, look from Okotoks, Canada. That's interesting. Never heard of that before. Um, Michigan, Ontario. Oh my gosh, Delaware. Whoops. Yeah, cool. Well, welcome in everybody. Nice to see where everybody's coming from. I love doing roll call and just seeing like, you know, it's it's just, it's interesting how people just find this on YouTube somehow. You, you make it, you put it out there. I remember when I first started the channel, I was like, well, who will watch this? Well, someone from Ontario, apparently, <laughs> you know, so it's pretty neat to see that. 
So like I said, today I'm going to try to read probably four birth charts and give you a sense of your biggest transit of 2023. Um, if you are new to the channel, welcome in. Always appreciate your like and subscribe. If you're watching this later as well, uh, like and subscribe. It helps the channel to grow. Drop some comments in the comment section. The live transcript of the original live chat you should be able to bring up and take a look at as well if you're watching this after it's been recorded. Um, if you ever want to know when I'm going live, you when you subscribe, click on the notification bell for updates. That should let you know when I'm going live. Um, you can find transcripts of any of my daily talks on my website, which is nightlightastrology.com. And of course, the big news is that we have just four days left in my annual Kickstarter trying to reach our goal of 1,608 backers supporting this channel. Um, by New Year's Eve. So just a few days left. Right now we are almost at a thousand. Generally speaking, the last week is when we get the biggest gains of subscribers. People always sort of wait till the end, which is fine. We always, we appreciate the support whenever it comes in. A huge thank you to the almost 1,000 subscribers who have pitched in and donated to support this channel, my staff, um, and all of the cool projects that we have. Um, really deeply appreciate it. There is still time to donate four days and we still need a lot of help. If you haven't donated already, I hope you will consider donating. Um, and here is the, I'm going to give you the link to the Kickstarter so that you can um, visit it. It's in the, I'm going to put it into the live stream <clears throat> right now. Oops, here we go. So you'll find the link in the live stream uh, you can also, uh, if you go to my website, which is nightlightastrology.com, you can find the Kickstarter link um, on the website as well. You're going to link over to the website. And if you want to pitch in $5, $10, $20, it all helps. We really appreciate it. Some of our goals include the um, support of our staff every year. There's a whole staff of people who support me and this channel so that uh, daily content can happen Monday through Fridays year round. Um, there's about four to six hours that goes into every single day's production. So when you support the channel, you're supporting not only me and my work, but you're also supporting a staff of people that help me with the work. Um, you're also supporting our big goal for 2023, which is the development of an affordable reading service so that people who otherwise couldn't afford an, a reading, an astrological reading, can get one. Um, so the capital that we are raising, we're going to be using the capital from the Kickstarter to get this service launched. So when you contribute, you're also contributing to that goal, which I think is something that is going to I hope that we're a trendsetter, in, in fact, just to be completely honest, because the model right now is, you know, individual practitioners. And if you're good at what you do, you get booked out a long ways in advance to support yourself. You have to have, you know, sort of standard rates based on the amount of experience you have and what your peers are doing and so forth. But that means that, like, for a lot of people, my wait time is a year and my rate is not necessarily affordable. But I have hundreds and hundreds of students who are really, really talented, who need experience, and who could use an outlet like this to gain that experience, earn some money, and in the meantime, provide a more reasonable fee and a more reasonable waiting time for people. So to me, this is the kind of thing that I'm passionate about, whether it's in my astrology programs or it's this service. I, want, I think that astrology should be 
like largely accessible for people. The education should be accessible, which is why, you know, we have all sorts of need-based tuition options for people. Um, the content that I create should be free. And if people value it, they should, you know, pitch in during the Kickstarter. Um, the uh, reading service that we offer can do something similar. So um, if you're, if you like that kind of thing, if you believe in that kind of mission, your support goes a long way. We really appreciate it. Uh, the best thing you can pick up through the Kickstarter, and then I will stop talking about it and we will get into readings. Uh, the best thing that you can pick up, and I'm going to put the link back in. This is the link to the Kickstarter into the chat box. And then my website where you can also find the link is nightlightastrology.com. And um, the main thing that you can pick up that's of great value is 50% off any of my online training programs. So if you want to study astrology and become an astrologer, you can take my year one and year two certification programs. It's two years worth of uh, study. And then we have four other programs as well. We have a specialized course in horary astrology. We have um, a course in practical training, which is called readings and passages. That's all about working with live clients and doing practice sessions to get better at astrology on, in hands-on ways rather than just learning the theory, but actually practicing in group settings. Um, then we have a um, Roots and Spheres program, which is about the pairing of herbal medicine with astrology, and then the Masterclass series, which is for more advanced students. So you can get any of the programs 50% off. And when you pair them together, if you bundle two classes, three classes, four classes, you save. If you get the four-class pass, you save the most. You can use those vouchers through the Kickstarter whenever you want. So if you want to use one or two programs in 2023 and then one or two more in the following two years, they never expire. You can use them whenever you want. You could gift one of them to someone. So it's a really good deal, a good way to save and a good way to contribute to um, some really awesome projects that we're doing. So can we get to... Uh, you know, can we get 600 more backers in four days? I don't know. It's a tall order. Uh, we have done it before. I think we still can. If you love this channel, if it gives something good to you, if this is something that contributes positively to your life and you can spare $5, $10, when you stack those up with four or 500 more people who watch this channel out of 50,000 plus people who watch this channel, it really does go a very long way. So uh, we really appreciate it. All right, there's the link to the Kickstarter one more time. And um, my uh, pitch for the Kickstarter is over now. So we will go into some live chart readings. And thank you guys for listening. All right, so um, what I'd like to do is take some volunteers. <clears throat> Just know that I'm going to be talking about your chart you know in in front of everyone here so make sure you're comfortable with that and with sharing your first name and your birth data um <clears throat> i will put your chart up on the screen and i'm just gonna say here is what i think your biggest transit of the next year is and i'll describe what i think you could watch for and sort of how to work with that transit so that's that's where we're gonna go with this all right i'm just gonna scroll up and see what i can find all right heather all right, so Heather from Biloxi, uh, is that Mississippi? Yeah, I think that's what that is. Thank you, Heather. And I don't, there's no rhyme or reason to who I choose. I just pick whatever comes through my scrolling here. Um, all right, so let's go like, there we go. 
All right, I'm putting your chart up right now. Just one second. So I use whole sign houses um, in case you are, in case people are wondering. And we're, I'm going to give you guys some tips for reading charts and the way that I would basically I'll just take you through how I'm looking at the chart and how I'm formulating the reading that I give so that it is hopefully useful to you as students of astrology if you're not getting your chart read. All right. Uh, let's see here. Okay. All right, Heather, here we go. So I have your birth chart up on the screen. It is November 4th, 1979, 7.41 p.m. in Biloxi, Mississippi. All right, now what I'm gonna do is, um, and let me take this off, here we go. All right, so you can, um, <clears throat> you can always start um, by looking one of the things that I do right away when I look at a birth chart is I look for which planets are angular right away, uh, which mean in angular houses, that is whole sign house one, four, seven, or 10, or any planet that is actually on an angle like the ascendant, descendant, midheaven, or IC. Let me put in those degrees right now as well so we can actually see them here. <clears throat> so um, in Heather's chart, for example, we might notice that Jupiter is pretty close to the IC, Saturn uh, and Jupiter in the North Node are all angular in the fourth house. South Node is sort of close to the midheaven up in the 10th. And then you've got Neptune, Mercury, a lot of fortune and Venus all in the seventh, though none of them are really that close to the descendant. So sometimes it's just like the place I start is to look at what's angular. In ancient astrology, the angular houses were called krematisticos, which meant that they had the power to speak as an oracle. You know, you might say, well, shouldn't every planet in the chart be speaking as a as a part of the oracle of, of the birth chart itself? And um, yes, but the angular places sort of give planets a megaphone. It's as though the angular places have more of an announcement to make about the life of the individual. So that's always important to look at and just something that I would I would start with. Um, so one of the things that I'll do after I look at the angular houses is I'll see if any planets in the angular houses are receiving any major aspects from slower moving planets, because the slower the planet is moving when it makes an aspect to a natal planet, generally the longer and more pronounced the transit and its significations will be. So, uh, let's take a look, for example, at Venus. You can see Venus here in Sagittarius, and I know that in March, Saturn is going to enter Pisces, and a slow-moving planet like Saturn in Pisces will be making a square to an angular Venus in the seventh house of love and relationships. Now, Venus is also a planet whose natural topical significations involve love, sex, and relationships. And so Venus in the seventh has a kind of um, doubly strong uh, connection to the idea of, of like love and relationships to those themes. So a Saturn square to a Venus in the seventh house is going to be one of the more powerful dynamics in the year ahead. Now there could be others, um, but let's just, we'll just, you know, just for the sake of um, uh, keeping this a little bit simpler, this is one that catches my eye right away. 
it catches my eye again because Venus is angular. Venus is in a house that um, resembles some of the same topics that Venus naturally resembles as a planet. So you have a little bit of house and planet correlation there. In ancient astrology, Libra was not conflated with the seventh house as it is in modern astrology. So there were not sign house conflations, meaning that the meanings of the houses were not based on the meaning of the signs in order with Aries in the first and Taurus in the second all the way around the wheel. So there's nothing inherently Venusian about the seventh house, contrary to what people think, at least not in ancient astrology. Um, the seventh house takes its meaning from the idea of planets setting or disappearing. And what happens in the evening hours, generally speaking, is that leisure, leisurely activities uh, take place. Uh, we go out to enjoy ourselves. Indian astrologers call this house Kama, which means pleasure. The reason for this, though, is not rooted in the idea of Libra or the... Um, the rulership of Venus over Libra or anything like that. It has to do with the fact that planets set in this place. And when planets set, there's something more leisurely about the end of the day. The work of the day is done. The seventh house was said by Manilius to be the end of work. And he associated also with leisure, social intercourse, sex, and um, any kind of like ecstatic worship of the gods, anything that would be celebratory and enjoyable. So Venus in the seventh has a, a, a sort of, um, it sort of doubles down on the idea of love and relationships. So for that reason, and because Saturn is squaring it in March, slow moving Saturn, I would say that Heather, one of your biggest transits of the year ahead will be Saturn square to your natal Venus. Now, um, that could mean a, a lot of different things, right? So for example, just to get like, before we get to the most obvious ones, let's take some that are more um, like far field. For example, Venus rules sisters. Place Venus in the seventh house and it could be that a sister is getting married. It could be that a sister is getting divorced or it could be that there is a significant legacy or reputation defining event for a sister or for a close girlfriend because Saturn in the 10th squaring Venus in the seventh could refer to a woman or a female that you are close with among other things, but that's one distinct possibility. Now the most basic would be something to do with your own love life. So for example, Saturn enters the 10th and starts changing your public reputation, responsibilities, duties, and sense of where your life is heading insofar as you are a socially conditioned being. It does so by affecting Venus in the seventh house. So sometimes people get married or people get divorced. People get married when such a transit happens and it adds the aura of being taken and committed. I'm, I'm no longer on the market, right? I'm, I'm, and now I'm in a committed relationship. On the other hand, you have the exact same kinds of Saturn Venus themes when people say, oh, my reputation is permanently being altered <clears throat> and it's being altered because, um, you know, I'm, I'm leaving a relationship and now I'm, I'm back on the market, so to speak. Um, so, 
those would be two of the most obvious would be a change of of status something that is affecting the direction your life is taking insofar as you are uh someone who has a, a social um a social reputation a social identity and that that identity is changing because of something changing in an intimate relationship okay so that would be like probably the most textbook and consistent thing that I would see if you were my client coming in and I was looking this at this in advance of talking to you. I'd be like, well, that's probably what we're going to be talking about. Um, this could also be, though, that you're getting more serious, like you're just meeting someone, but you're getting more serious. Maybe you're not getting married, but maybe it's just like, oh, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dating someone and I'm getting more committed. Or it could be that there's a a period of where love and relationships or even the topic of your sexuality just become more important or more of a serious point of emphasis in your life. Uh, sometimes there's pain around love, sex, um, and, and so forth. Sometimes also with Venus, um, oftentimes in anyone's chart, but oftentimes in women's charts with Saturn in the 10th hitting Venus in the seventh, it will just be about your, your aesthetic, like you're changing your appearance, your you are becoming a more mature um, woman, or your, you know, your your identity as as a Venusian, um, you know, as someone with a like a, a Venusian element in your psyche, right? That that Venusian element is going through some kind of change that's tempered by the seriousness, the maturity, the focus, the gravitas of Saturn. So those are the most obvious things that I would look for, and then. Um, the transit is really the one that the place that I would really look for this transit would be March and April. Those two months in particular to me would stand out. They'll probably tone the rest of the year. And it's not like the only things happening around Venus and Saturn to Venus will be in March and April, but um, because whatever happens will probably have ripple effects through the rest of your 2023. But that's the place that I would look. Uh, so Heather, thank you. And she says, thank you in return. That's, that's great. Does, does that ring a bell at all? Heather, does that make any sense to you? Do you, if you want to elaborate any more, we'd love to hear anything else you have to say. It's always valuable to hear, you know, people share if they are up for it. So go ahead and do that if you want to. Um, in the meantime, I'll get someone else's chart kind of queued up. <clears throat> Let's see here. Okay, Larketra, is that how I say your name? Larketra or Larketra? I'm not sure. All right. And the donations through YouTube are much appreciated. Like I, I can't thank you guys enough for dropping those donations in, but um, they they don't really help our cause unless they go through Kickstarter. I, I'm, I'm not at all trying to look a gift horse in the mouth, but um, if you guys can send them to Kickstarter, that means so much more. It helps us so much more because that goes that can go directly toward building the donation-based reading service and the capital that we use to build that service because it comes through the Kickstarter, we don't have to pay double taxes on. Um, so anything that comes in through YouTube is just, it's not as 
it, the the funds can't be used as easily at, for our project as if they come through the Kickstarter. So um, please do send through the Kickstarter if you can, but I don't mean to be offensive at all. Thank you so much for sending anything. It's really deeply appreciated. If you wanna send through the Kickstarter, by the way, go to nightlightastrology.com and you'll find the Kickstarter 2023 link. And then the link to the Kickstarter one more time is also right here. I'm putting them in the live stream, so you should be able to find them. Okay, uh, Larkitra, that's how I'm going to say. I'm going to uh, guess that it's a key rather than a ke. <laughs> I'm just guessing, though. All right, uh, January 26, 1978, 8.32 a.m., H-E-I-D, Heidelberg. And I'm guessing, okay, here we go. Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> here we go. All right, sorry, it's taking me just a second to get this up. All right, let's put it put it up and go. Thank you so much, Venus in Retro Tarot. Pledge $10, really appreciate it. Every little donation makes a big difference. Come study with me too, guys. You guys pick up that 50% uh, off any of my classes. Come, come study in my June program that starts in June or November program. I'd love to see some of you in class. Okay. <clears throat> Much appreciated to Nia for contributing, uh, Venus in Retro Tarot for contributing. Love you guys, really, really appreciate you. All right, and Lakitra La tells me that I got her name right, so that's good. I'm feeling good about that. All right, let's get in there. Thank you, Andrea, that's so sweet of you. Really appreciate you. All right. Uh, Okay, so here is the chart on the screen for Lakitra, and I'm going to do the same thing. First, I'm going to look at um, I'm going to look at angular planets and see what's going on in the angles. So we have a Sun Venus conjunction in Aquarius. You're like really close to uh, I think it was I think it's Oprah that has that Kazemi of Venus in the Sun in Aquarius. Uh, see here we have um, the Sun and Saturn. Sun and Saturn in um, Leo in the 7th house. We've got Uranus in the 10th and the Sun Venus in the 1st. So that comes that that those are the angular planets and I like to I always look 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 at those kind of first and see what's going on there. Of course, one of the big things happening in the angles of your birth chart, Lakitra, is you have Pluto entering the 1st house over the next couple of years, starting again, like Saturn in March of 2023. Now, to me, one of the things that's really interesting about that is that as Pluto is entering your first house into Aquarius, starting in March, but stretching into the end of 2024, it will be going back and forth in an opposition to your natal Mars in Cancer in the sixth, who's retrograde and in the sign of its fall. It's kind of a challenging place for Mars. And then it will be simultaneously <clears throat> entering your first house, starting to move into a conjunction with your sun. 
So to me, this is the one that I would, if you were my client, you're coming in, I would be like, all right, this is what we're talking about for sure. How could you not talk about this one, right? This is huge. Um, so here's a few things to think about. We have Mars is in the sixth house retrograde in its fall in, in Cancer. So a couple of topics come to mind. Mars is the ruler of your south node in the third house. It's in the sign of Cancer, which is often associated with home and family. It's also ruled by the moon who is conjoined with Saturn in the seventh house. So you have a few different options. One is going to be any kind of drama. Like, unfortunately, let's just get the hard stuff out of the way, right? So it'd be like any kind of drama related to family members, maybe specifically siblings with Mars also ruling the third house. But any kind of family drama. That could be specifically like sisters with Mars and Cancer, feminine sign, or um, sisters and their children, um, or uh, your mom with the Mars being in Cancer, the sign of the moon, and the moon being conjoined Saturn in your chart. Saturn in March, right before Pluto enters Aquarius, will also be opposing your moon and Saturn in the seventh house. So let's just make this family karma, mom karma, sister karma, mother and children karma, women's health karma, um, or maybe the topic of marriage and relationships. So those vulnerable places of home, family, women, sisters, mothers, children, and maybe marriage. Those topics seem to be really strongly emphasized in the next few months if they haven't already been in the past year. Pluto's opposition to that planet is probably going to bring a meaningful and positive transformation into your life, meaning something that will make sense once you're on the other side of it. It will be a transformation that may be painful or challenging or difficult, but you will walk away from it going like, that was really meaningful. That transformed me in a very positive way. But there was death and, and sort of maybe some pain and suffering that went along with it. That is just standard textbook Pluto transit. Um, sometimes that means a death in the family, a divorce in the family. Sometimes that means, you know, challenges in a marriage or relationship or something happening for a family member that you have to see them through. Rarely do I see it being some kind of horror story that people never recover from or that, you know, like someone's going to die or I mean, unless it's like someone who's aging and, and ready to die. Usually you're not going to see anything that's like, I don't know. People get more scared of Pluto, in other words, than they need to. Uh, you're, you're going to see some level of transformation, death and rebirth that you'll feel like, wow, I needed that, but that was hard by the time it's over. Um, but it will be um, not something that usually will like wreck your whole life, right? I mean, sometimes it, it can wreck your life for like a couple months or a year, where things feel like, oh my God, you know, this wrecking ball has come through my life. But it's usually temporary. And the best part about Pluto is that on the flip side of a Pluto transit, you feel like you've been empowered, you feel um, renewed, and you feel stronger and somehow more vital. It's the, you know, it's the equivalent of like the day when you wake up from having had the flu and you have your appetite back like the Pluto piece of it is a bit like having the flu for a little bit. It's never quite as bad as people think it's going to be in my experience. Although sometimes it can be really bad, but most of the time it's not. And then 
you wake up the next day and you you're just like, oh my God, I feel better. But this kind of better is like it's soul better. It's something has been eliminated, even if it's with family karma and it's and it's like painful stuff, you feel reborn. And there's a, a, a feeling of being healthy and whole again that often comes with a transit like this. But it's a pretty intense, deep level of release and catharsis that's going to come with an opposition to Mars in the sixth house. Oftentimes, because Pluto's also moving into your first house, I would tell you to be a little bit cautious about your health or the idea of uh, women's health in general. So, uh, you know, health of mother, health of sister, uh, things like sometimes people will go through something like, um, you know, uh, dealing with um, ovarian cyst or, or cysts or something like that. Something to do with the reproductive system or the breasts or uh, something about, you know, the the role or, or status as a mom and the, the burden you're carrying as a mother. So it it's and oftentimes there's also themes with Mars and cancer of protecting, advocating, defending or strengthening into the, the role of mothering or it's kind of like a mother bear energy, Mars and cancer. So Pluto will intensify some of those things. And then Pluto is moving into your first house and applying to your son, which is very different than the opposition to Mars. Whatever you're going through around those, uh, the, the more challenging topics around, say, health, women, children, family, marriage, um, after those things kind of subside, which will happen between 2023 and the end of 2024, then Pluto's like squarely in your first house. And then the purpose of Pluto is to create within you a very powerful and deep level of personal transformation. I am becoming a new person. Psychologically, physically, I am being reborn. So uh, whatever's happening around this karma we're describing is sort of just a lead up to this very deep level of personal transformation where your sense of who you are, what your life is about, what makes you you is going to go through a very intense period of, of, of transformation just after the Pluto transit to Mars is done. Um, I would say the best thing to do like from uh, like, where should you be cautious? Where should you be vigilant with your health, with your physical vitality and health um, and guard your guard yourself from getting overly involved in other people's emotional dramas. If you're getting sucked in, in a, in a negative way, um, know that some level of, um, you know, confronting challenging themes around family and all these, all these other areas we've mentioned is like par for the course, try to learn. And even like, if you have like a, an altar at home, you can make a little room. You can see, I have a new, I don't know if you can see that in my background here, I'll just show you. I just got, oh, you can see Mercury back there. There's Hermes Mercury on my new stand. I got that for Christmas. A, a friend that sent me that. A statue from Greece. And then um, my wife gave me the stand for Hermes. But it's good to have gods around you. You know, it's, it's really good if you're going to be, if you have a transit that's going on, um, like it's great to get a little statue of Pluto or Hades, put it on your altar, write a little note, offer some flowers and water or fruit, uh, offer a little bit of your food and just say, I welcome you into my life right now. Teach me, heal me, guide me, be my friend. Don't be too harsh. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm imperfect, but I'm willing to learn. You kind of have that uh, um, 
if you have that mentality, my experience is that it, it makes a huge, huge difference in how the transit plays out. So that's what I would recommend always for Pluto. Welcome Pluto in, be kind, be hospitable, don't be afraid. All right, that's what I've got. And I hope that that was, I hope that was useful. <clears throat> so, uh, Lakitra, tell me if that uh, landed or, or what comes up. If, if, you'd love to, if you'd like to share anything, I'd be happy to uh, see your thoughts after, um, after looking at your chart there. <clears throat> All right, let's go into another one. <clears throat> I'll do two more. <clears throat> All right, we got Sarah. <clears throat> Sarah Metlin. Looks like Sarah's a mom from the picture. Let's do something for Sarah here. June 16th, got a Gemini in the house. Trouble. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, June, June 16th, 1987 at 3.41 p.m. in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay, let me just double check that I've got that. June... All right, Sarah, here we go. <clears throat> um, and did I miss, if Lakitra said something, I am not seeing it, so I'll have to. Ah, here we go. Extremely helpful and you are spot on, all right. Okay, good. If you wanna tell us anything about you know, the situation or how specifically things were applicable, it's always really good feedback for me so that I can grow and get better as an astrologer um, or just hear like, you know, if we got it right, it's always kind of cool to hear that too. Um, deciding what to do with uterine fibroids. Well, there you go. That exactly. That's, that's, that's what I, well, I hope that you find health and wellness and that um, you would be blessed with just uh, uh, healing and um, support. That's, that's my prayer for you for the new year. And thanks for sharing your chart. Really appreciate that. <clears throat> All right. Um, thank you. Thank you, Lakitra. Lakitra. So, um, all right. So I've got Sarah's chart up on the screen now. Yeah, you bet. You bet. All right. So let's take a look again and we'll try our angularity theory out here. So we have um, Mercury and Mars in Cancer, along with a lot of fortune in the angular 10th. We have Jupiter. Jupiter return year in the seventh with Jupiter hugging the descendant. That's a pretty powerful one. We also have Neptune in the fourth uh, and south node in the first. So the most angular here and probably the most potent is going to be Jupiter at the descendant or this Mercury-Mars conjunction in Cancer. But you know what? That's not what I'm interested in. <clears throat> not as much anyway. 
uh, as I am interested in two things. One is the fact that I also like to look at the luminaries. So you always want to see if there are any major aspects approaching for the sun or moon. You've got two. You've got Saturn, who is going to make a conjunction with the moon in the sixth house, very similar to Lakitra's in terms of the potential for health issues around women, uh, um, mothers, women's health issues, things like that the karma around women and mothers and children and uh, family or domestic uh, issues, living environment, and maybe some challenges in the sixth house around those things. I would look for that like uh, March through May in particular, Sarah. Um, that's, you know, it's, I, I don't find that you know, Saturn in the moon is interesting. Like um, one of the most common things I see with Saturn in the moon are grandmothers passing away. Um, but regardless, um, there, so maybe some karma around like moon stuff coming up March to May. But the other one is Neptune in Pisces is squaring the sun this year in Gemini in the ninth house. That's huge. That's a, that's a really um, significant, very like life, life transforming uh, transit. So what's that one about? Um, that's the one I want to talk about. I'm going to kind of skip over the moon and just give you that little brief rundown on the moon. Like again, March to May with Saturn on the moon. Um, be good with your body, health, watch for things around family, et cetera. <clears throat> um, but this one is big because the sun in the ninth house has so much to do with your beliefs. Are you religious or um, do you have a spiritual practice, a set of philosophical, ethical, moral um, values that, that, orient your life. You know, what, what stars guide your life, which is like a, a metaphorical and rhetorical question the stars that guide your life are astrology for me, right? Astrology to a certain extent, yoga, Eastern philosophy, psychedelics, contemplative Christian mysticism, um, reading and learning and poetry. And, you know, so everyone has a different compass and some people, you know, live their life with a really strong sense of needing to invest into the things they learn, the spiritual or religious practices they have, that their convictions play a really big role. Usually that's people with ninth houses or prominent ninth houses. It can also be that people in the ninth house are just lifelong learners or students or teachers, or that they pursue higher education in one form or another. Um, or sometimes it's that people live abroad or they, they travel a lot, or there's some theme of like foreign or international places or foreign countries, things like that. Um, so the sun for in the ninth house would suggest that this area of life is uh, really important for you and shapes or defines something of your, your sense of life, mission, and purpose. That's what the sun is sort of all about. Now, when you were born, the sun was opposite Uranus and Saturn in the third house, which means for most people, the way I would see that playing out is that there's going to be an ongoing theme of needing to break free from um, uh, any, any kind of <clears throat> rigid or dogmatic forms of uh, belief, like dogmas, doctrines, teachers or teachings, forms or structures, 
especially of the mind, intellect, of faith, religion, and belief, or even within disciplines, like things you study or practice, but ways of doing them <clears throat> that become outdated or uh, like stuck. The need to break free from those things with insight, with a certain eccentric, experimental um, quality, people who are experimental scientists or researchers or people who um, like to explore exotic or different places and themes and ideas. That's a Sun-Uranus opposition across the third and ninth house. So that's already probably played a role in your life, I would guess, Sarah. Um, when Neptune in the sixth starts squaring the Sun and Uranus, it's as though <clears throat> there's a question being posed to you. And it may not be posed in just one moment, but over the course of, say, the next two years but especially in 2023. And that question would be, how do your beliefs need to change in order to um, make room for or make sense of some kind of experience of suffering or some kind of loss or some kind of pain or grief or difficulty? Neptune in the sixth is a planet of tremendous compassion in a place of great suffering in a place of great sacrifice, in a place of great service. And so the, the question of sacrifice, suffering, and service, uh, hard work, labor, and frustration, sickness, disease, and loss, um, conflict, frustration, but also uh, the things that you care very deeply about and are willing to, um, to, to, to sacrifice for, whether it's that you're spending, you know, burning the midnight oil studying something you love, sacrificing more of your time and energy because you're becoming deeply devoted to some, some kind of belief, or because you need to adjust your worldview to make sense out of some kind of suffering or hardship, Neptune in the sixth house is going to be affecting the mind and the belief system and, and mechanisms of belief and practices and um, and ideas and like like your paradigm by bringing it into contact with empathy, compassion, suffering, uh, loss, or service and sacrifice. Those are the themes that I would watch for. And that could affect your work. It could affect what you're doing for a living or how you're doing it. It could have a role. It could play a role in terms of, um, you know, uh, having to accommodate it, your your worldview has to accommodate some kind of change that is not altogether easy so that's that's kind of what i'm seeing as the big work for you in the next year to two um it's hard without talking to you and just kind of doing this off the cuff to say more that's kind of the vibe i'm getting though so i would love to um sarah to, to hear from you and hear if that makes uh some kind of sense from you know from where you are and um, the timeline for that, again, would be um, spring and summer of 2023 uh, in particular, but I would say all of 2023 and 24 as a long-term process. It's not, Neptune transits are, are very rarely like, like one week or one day where like everything's just like happening all at once. Um, they, Neptune is, is very process oriented in the way it delivers its um, transits. So I'd give it about two years. <clears throat> Let's see. 
I've been questioning what I want it all to look like. Uh, I'm trying to find if there was a previous, was there a, was there something prior to this that you wrote? Uh, being full-time in college and learning to balance that with motherhood has been a lot. Trying to picture what a career after this phase could look like. Ah, yeah, that's interesting. Sarah, um, would you mind, let's just see if I can find, um, what are you studying? And just out of curiosity, what are you studying right now? By the way, um, the Kickstarter, here it is again in the live stream. And you can also find it on my website, nightlightastrology.com. You can find the Kickstarter link at the top of my website. <clears throat> Music performance and technology. Yeah, yeah, totally. See, I think it, it, from the standpoint of what you just shared with me, it strikes me as um, like, well, yeah, okay. So for example, Neptune in the sixth house squaring that sun uranus opposition the need or desire to do things that are creative and expressive and experimental um to be active and sort of alive intellectually and creatively but then sixth house neptune with saturn in the same sign and your moon is in that sign but i'm having to sacrifice because i'm a mom you know like i'm i'm the maternal sacrifice is calling into question my sense of life purpose and the need that I have, especially as a sun Uranus opposition native to be free, um, to be free in mind or spirit. So it might be just that, you know, like a Neptune sun transit, it's pretty common that it'll just give, give you this feeling like, where am I going? What am I doing? There's a kind of a sense of being trying to navigate your ship through the fog and you can't see the star that's supposed to guide you and tell you where to go, but just, just allowing it to unfold one step at a time, not trying to be too controlling of where you're going or how you're going to get there. Just taking the next step forward, kind of moving through the mist, trying to find your intuition in the process uh, and understanding that a certain level of sacrifice and, and like, meaningful suffering is a part of Neptune in the six squaring the sun, but also you don't want to become a martyr. You know, you don't, you don't want to be someone who loses themselves or their, their own spirit uh, and, and the, the calling of that spirit. So, you know, I think that's, oh gosh, you know, I can't even count the number of times where you'll see, um, you know, a, a new mom dealing with a transit to her son right after having a child, like you've birthed this creative thing. Uh, you've had this creative movement in your life. You've gone through this ma massive creative process, but you know, and now you're a new person, but you also have to make sure you retain some sense of individual calling. And I, and I think that's just like, that's just really hard to, to balance um, for, for a lot of moms. So it doesn't surprise me that you have some of that happening, like right as Neptune's hitting the sun. <clears throat> okay let's see we'll do one more and um good and good luck to you sarah thank you for volunteering really appreciate it 
So don't forget, before I do this final um, reading, I hope that this has been useful for you, that you're getting something good out of it from the standpoint of learning to read charts, being students of astrology and so forth. Let's see, uh, have we gotten any donations in while we've been doing this? We'll just take a look. Oh my gosh, yes, we have. We've gotten like uh, 12 or 13. That's amazing. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to put the link one more time in. We could really use the support. Uh, maybe we can get past 1,000 today, seven more, and we get to 1,000. Every donation helps. Remember, 50% off all of my classes, 75% uh, if you bundle four of them together. Um, and most of the time, just so you know, when people finish my one-year program, <clears throat> the retention of students that we have taking <clears throat> year two, horary, all the rest of the programs is extremely high. So um, it's like the threshold is, you know, people take the year one class and then they're hooked. Well, if you take the year one class, um, you know, and you've, and you've bundled it together, you can spread it out however, as over however long you want, renew their, they don't expire. So you can renew them whenever you want. And you're going to have saved a ton of money. I can just tell you right now, if you're thinking of taking the first year course, the, the, retention rate we have is like 70% of the students who take year one, take year two. Uh, about the same amount that take year two, take the rest of our courses. So um, they're, they're great courses. We have a whole team of people who pour a ton of love and heart into those programs. So all I can tell you is check them out, sign up, um, use the bundle discount, you won't regret it. You can always gift one of those to someone too, by the way. They are transferable. Um, here is the Kickstarter link one more time. And then if you want, you can find the link to the Kickstarter on the website, which is nightlightastrology.com. Right. Well, let's do one last reading for the day. And thank you to everyone. I've had a bunch of people telling me in the chat box that they've donated. Really appreciate you guys. All right. Well, we're going to go with Astrology Lover. I liked that name. <laughs> it looks like you have an avatar for a picture. Um, I did that app the other day myself. It was pretty comical. Um, all right. Astrology Lover, May 14th, 1979 at 11.22 a.m. in Aden, Yemen. Okay. All right, Astrology Lover. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that, that that's your name on your, your handle. That's a good one. All right. So May 14th, 1979, 1122 AM in Aden or Aden, Yemen. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you. Really appreciate it. <clears throat> All right. Let's take a look. So we've got the chart up and astrology lovers chart is going to, let's see, what do we got here? Interesting. Okay, so here's what I want to go for right away. Sometimes things just jump out at me. And I've been spending a lot of time looking at the Pluto ingress in March. Like, what is that going to do in people's charts? What does that start to awaken in your chart? Because, you know, Pluto's been, I think it's like 2008, or it was eight or nine. I'm blanking. I think it was 2008 for a little bit that Pluto popped into Capricorn. It's been in Capricorn forever. And the point is, as soon as it moves into Aquarius, for most of us, we're going to get just like a tsunami of, of energy into a brand new house in our birth chart. That is, um, I, I don't think we can 
like for most of us, including myself, I really started getting into astrology as Pluto was entering Capricorn. It happens to be my ninth house. So I guess that makes some some sense there, you know, in terms of like getting into astrology as Pluto's going into the ninth. But um, none of us have really lived through a Pluto ingress into a new sign while being intensely in love with astrology. Like most people that I know who are into astrology were not super aware of their own birth chart or of the transits prior to 2008. Now, there's quite a few people who were, that were tracking it and have been into it for a super long time, and that's great. I wasn't. So, like, you know, my 13-year career has basically all taken place with Pluto and Capricorn. Um, every time Uranus has moved signs, which I've now seen happen from uh, Pisces to Aries to Taurus, it has made a very big impression um, on me and it's made a big splash in my life, in my chart, in the charts of my clients and students. So all I can tell you is that you should all be looking at where Pluto is going to be moving uh, in your birth chart. Where is that whole sign house of Aquarius? Um, in astrology lovers chart, what I find interesting is that it's entering the seventh house, which is an angular house. So especially if you have a fixed sign rising, that would be uh, Leo, Scorpio, Aquarius, or Taurus. If you have one of those signs rising, then Pluto is moving into an angular house in your birth chart. <clears throat> By the way, I'm just going to uh, put this shameless plug in from Christina. <laughs> thank, thank you so much, Christina. That's really, really sweet of you. Really appreciate you. So Pluto's moving into an angular house that's going to make a big, big splash. Um, now, if it's moving into a house and it's hitting a planet, it'll do the same thing. But if it's moving into an angular house, that's going to have a really, really big impact. Um, so just pay attention to that too. Now, um, Pluto moving into astrology lover seventh suggests, uh, you know, major changes, not just now or in March, but over the next couple of years, as Pluto ingresses into the seventh house of love relationships, pleasure, sexuality. These are the themes that the seventh house was associated with in ancient astrology. These are the themes that will be activated by Pluto. So that could mean a huge variety of different things. Um, one of the things that it will do immediately is Pluto will oppose Jupiter in Leo in the first house. That's, that's really, really interesting, especially given that Pluto rules the lot of fortune, the south node, and the eighth house. And concurrently, over the next couple of years, as Pluto is ingressing into the seventh, opposing Pluto in the first, Saturn will be moving through the eighth, where the south node and lot of fortune is. So what I would look at would be very significant changes around love and relationships with this added theme that has something to do with wealth, power, and the, the split between self-sufficiency and dependency. That could be energetically, that could be emotionally, that could be financially. Jupiter in Leo in the first house, very strong, very confident, very um, independent, and often like a leader with a lot of pride, a big heart, often very uh, big, encouraging personality. Um, so I love that Jupiter in Leo in the first house. It's a really nice signature for your first house. But I do wonder how your sense of personal pride and dignity is looped into what other people think about you or what other people give you or deny you. 
And that has to do with Jupiter's rulership in the first over the lot of fortune in the south node in the eighth. Saturn's going to be moving through that area while Pluto opposes Jupiter. So, for example, a woman goes through a divorce and has to, and I'm just making this up. I'm just, this is just straight out of my like encyclopedic, you know, me like memory of client work. A woman goes through a divorce and has to realize that a lot of her pride, her sense of dignity, her sense of power has been built off from the associated wealth of her partner. And with that wealth now being pulled out, she is getting humbled and has to recreate her sense of strength and pride in the world without that form of dependency available to her any longer, emotionally or financially or whatever else it may be. On the other hand, you could just as easily see a story where a woman meets, let's just say, meets a special someone. And that special someone is very powerful, uh, maybe wealthy or successful just on some level in their own right. And it is very challenging and once again, maybe humbling for them to allow someone into their life that they have to share the spotlight with. These are the two things that I would say instantly come to mind and would be like, okay, I've seen this play out before when Saturn entered Aquarius and opposed people's Leo planets in the first house. Do you, do you know what I mean? So <clears throat> um, I would look for how other people's resources, what they have or what they don't have is affecting you. Similar story. Someone um, meets someone and you fall in love with them and they are profoundly interesting to you and, and a good soul, but not very wealthy, not very prestigious. They don't have a lot. Maybe for some Jupiter in Leo women with a bunch of Taurus energy up in the, in the 10th house and a flashy moon Neptune in the fifth, you know, maybe you like the high life, but maybe you're meeting someone who's like a, you know, a corner, a, 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 a corner street performing saxophone player who has a PhD, but is out of a job, but is wildly attractive to you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just making this up, of course. Sorry, sorry if it's like super, super, um, you know, it's not, has anything to do with what's going on in your life, but you get the idea. There's a story and it has to do with your sense of identity and how you relate to power, privilege, wealth, uh, importance, what your ego is built on and all the healthiest ways and maybe some of the unhealthy ways. And how that that ego structure is being challenged by someone you're meeting and what they give you or what they can't give you or what they're taking away from you. Or if you're in a relationship, it could be about the balance of power or something like that. Anyway, this is what I would look, these are the kinds of themes or stories that I would be watching for over the next couple of years, say 2023 through 2025, as Pluto enters your seventh, opposes Jupiter, and Saturn is working through the eighth place, which Jupiter also rules, if that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> astrology lover, uh, let's see what you have to say, because I would really like to hear it. Astrology lover says, that's exactly what happened to me. Got divorced and remarried again to a man 20 years older than me. He is poor, but I got my independence after my marriage. Well, that's interesting. So that's already happened. Well, when did that, when did that happen? How recently was that? I'm just curious. And so you're with someone 20 years older than you now. Um, how long, maybe how long have you been together? I'm, I would just be curious to hear a little bit more. You don't have to share, by the way, it's not required, but, um, 
Yeah, that's well, that's incredible that the story sort of matches. And what I would look for, if that's something that's happened sort of, okay, so that was 15 years ago. Okay, well then, not to be like foreboding, but I would just, I would wonder about if you've already encountered a pattern like that in the past, right? Like one of the things that was happening roughly 15 years ago is Saturn was in Leo in your first house. So that would have been activating some of the same dynamics, different planet, but similar places. Um, so one of the things that I would look at would be, you know, sometimes there's layers to the onion. So you've already gone through something like this 15 years ago. It's very possible that something like that is going to recur or that some of those themes might come up again in your, in your current relationship. Maybe it'll be easier to work through them this time, you know, than it was 15 years ago. Do you see what I mean? But I would look at similar kinds of dynamics around uh, your relationship. Um, but, you know, coming now with a lot more age, maturity, having been through them before, they'll look, they'll look differently. That, that they will, they will really look differently. So, yeah, so that's what I've got for you. Thank you so much, uh, astrology lover. That was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. Well, that's what I have for today, everybody. I hope um, this was uh, positive. I hope that you got something good out of it. I, I'd love to hear what you learned. Like anyone have any reflections they want to share in the chat? What did you learn or pick up on? What was new? What is something you'll take away from today's readings? I'd love to just hear your reflections before we end. It's always interesting to, for me to hear like what you learned or what you'll take away from watching a session like this. <clears throat> Saffron says, if you've already done year one and two in the past, Roots and Spheres and Readings and Passages start in January. Those are the next two classes that start in January. Yeah, for sure. If you're starting from scratch, I would recommend picking up the year one program and starting in June. Um, if you have a background in Hellenistic astrology already, you could definitely start Readings and Passages in January. They're both, you could pick up either of them through the Kickstarter. <clears throat> Our teacher says, I thank you for your time and your brilliance. You can use my chart anytime. Well, that's really sweet of you. Thank you. <clears throat> you're good at creating a story that's relatable to understand without using too much astrology jargon, which is really important when you're talking to clients who don't know anything about astrology. See, my, my, my students will often say, should I use astrological jargon when I talk to clients or not? And the answer is always, it really depends on who your client is. If your client likes a lot of astrology, they know about their chart, they kind of speak the language because they're into it, then you should definitely use craft language because it'll be um, a way to connect. If they don't, then telling stories and making things really relatable without using a lot of jargon is usually more appropriate. But you have to kind of, that's why you want to start every session by saying, do you know a lot about astrology? Have you ever had a reading before? Is it a hobby of yours? And kind of find out. Sarah says that I'm not crazy. This stuff is hard. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm I'm really glad to hear that that's that that you feel like supported. <clears throat> Sun aspects after women creating life. Yeah, because it's like, well, here's this massive creation, but then like where do I go from here? You you're you've opened up into this oceanic world where you're connected, the uterine ocean has like spilled open and the, the amniotic ocean has spilled open. A child has come forth. And now the child and you are like intimately connected in the world. You're, 
your identity is expanded into like the the universal archetype of the great mother, you know, but then you're like, well, what the hell? I'm still like a musician or, you know, I, I still have something specific that I want to do. And I think that you'll often see Sun Neptune around, um, you know, women having kids. It's just one of the big ones. Kate, I'm learning a bit of the etiquette for client interaction. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's very different working with clients in a big setting like this, you know, because it's half performance for an audience and half working with a client. And so you're, you know, it's not really what a client session looks like, obviously, but yeah. Let the chart come alive, especially with the native. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's important when you're, tr when you're trying to describe an archetypal combination, um, it's good to give people a few different examples of what something could look like rather than trying to predict the one that they're dealing with, because that allows them to first see and understand their life, their experience and the transit as an archetype. Then you have a little bit of distance. Otherwise you're, you, you run the risk, even if you get it right of people not wanting or not wanting to identify with it because they don't want to be conflated with an archetype. Right. And so you set yourself up for failure when you try to be super concrete and, and not archetypally descriptive. Um, you, if, if you are archetypally descriptive and you give people a variety of stories to work with, the client will usually be much more inclined to open up and match their experience to one of the dimensions of the archetype that you're describing. And that's when the conversation can deepen and you can have something valuable come through a session. Let's see. Can we find out if Charlie Bear is going to get children? I don't know who, the, I don't know what that is, sorry. Thanks, Adam. I learned a lot. Saturn rulership over the seventh house sounds like a dream. Pisces there has been wrapping my view, warping my view of relationships. I see how the Saturn and Pisces transit is going to help. Good. Yeah. Well, I hope it, I hope it is helpful. That'll be that'll be really. I think it'll be an interesting transit for us to be talking about come spring. <clears throat> All right. Well. you know, I'll answer this one really quickly. Is Pluto in the seventh bad or challenging in the natal chart? No, um, it just, uh, you know, Pluto is, is so deep and so profound. And some of the most powerful learning and growing happens through the topics of the house Pluto is in. And they're not, I really encourage people to think of Pluto as someone who, like, think of the planets as, um, administrators of you know your 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 fate and your fate is inherently something that's there to support and help you um the more that we trust that the planets have our best interest in mind the more that we treat them like guests in our in in our in the home of our heart the easier it is to go through the transits it really is it just it changes everything when you when whatever you're going through you go like okay that was hard, but like, I trust you because I know that you are good. I'm not, I don't see these as like things trying to mess with me or things giving me good things or giving me bad things, you know? So that, that's a really big shift that I think most people that have good relationships with astrology transits have that view in, in my experience. All right. Well, um, thanks. I just, I really appreciate all of you guys. Last, um, last time I'll say it, the Kickstarter. Let's see, can we get there? Can we possibly get 
600 more backers by New Year's Eve. It's a long shot, but I think we can do it. The Nightlight Astrology website, nightlightastrology.com, you'll find the link at the top of the page or um, the Kickstarter link in the description of this video after the live video is over uh, or the live chat. You'll see the link posted a bunch of times. Uh, you can go there and donate, pick up uh, a reward, any number of videos, lectures, readings, um, any of my classes. Uh, it all helps, and we really appreciate everyone who's already donated. Much love to you guys. And uh, tomorrow, I'm doing a special talk, by the way. The, the talk for tomorrow is um, on Venus's upcoming conjunction to Pluto in Capricorn um, and why Venus-Pluto has so much to do with secrets and the keeping or telling of secrets. That's what we're looking at tomorrow with Venus-Pluto. All right. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and we will see you again tomorrow. Bye, everyone.